Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome back. I hope you learned a few things about Noah in the last podcast, Noah Part 1. Isn't it interesting when you take a recognized story like Noah and then you view it through adult eyes? At least for me, I found that I had a completely new appreciation for Noah and his extreme leap of faith and also a greater appreciation for just how huge this task was that God asked him to perform. Let's review a few of the key points from last week's lesson. Noah was given instructions by God to build an ark because God said man had 120 years to either turn back to him or God would send a devastating flood because he was, quote, grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. This is explained in Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. God told Noah that he was going to wipe out mankind whom he had created from the face of the earth. Men, women, animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. A few things stand out to me from this passage. First, now, please understand, God did not make a mistake in making man because God doesn't make mistakes. But what is he expressing here? Well, I think it's similar to what a parent would express when a child continually is disobedient. He's expressing his deep sorrow for what his creation has chosen to do. God is sorry that his children have chosen sin and death instead of a relationship with him. And quite honestly, as a parent, I'd be really upset if my children chose sin and death over having a relationship with me. What also stands out to me in this passage is the effect that man's sin has on the entire creation. Did you hear that? The sin of man affected more than just man. It says that it's going to affect all creatures that God created. The animals, the creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, everything with breath in it. Our sin has an incredible ripple effect, doesn't it? I used to tell our youth group children that no one sins in a closet. Sin has huge consequences. And then finally, what struck me about this passage is that Noah found favor in God's eyes. What did Noah do or not do to not be included in this sinful crowd? Well, we get a glimpse in the next line in Genesis 6 verse 9 it says Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God 
to be righteous and blameless. Does this mean Noah was perfect? Because if so, then how can we possibly relate to this? If he sounds like the perfect person, then he sounds like no one that I know. But no, that's not what this passage says. In fact, the Bible in the next few chapters later in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, it actually talks about one of Noah's sins. What it does mean is that Noah wholeheartedly loved and obeyed God. Noah lived his life walking step by step in faith. He was a living example of, quite honestly, what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He lived by faith and not by sight. You know, that's actually really good news to us because none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin, but we can choose to love God wholeheartedly. We can choose to obey God. We can choose to confess our sins when we mess up. If more had done that during the time of Noah, you know, they probably would have needed to build a bigger boat or maybe they wouldn't have needed a boat at all. Makes you think, doesn't it? So today, I want to take a closer look into what the Bible tells us about Noah and his faith. This is so interesting. The name Noah, well, it actually means rest. R-E-S-T, rest. And if you think about his life, I would say it was anything but restful. But what I love about his name is that Noah rested in the Lord. He absolutely had no clue what God had in store for him, but he rested in the assurance that, come what may, God would take care of him. In fact, as we looked at last week in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. He moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to his faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. We know God gave instructions for building this tremendously large ark, which in Hebrew, the word is teva, T-E-V-A-H. And here's a fun Bible fact. This is the same word used to describe the basket that baby Moses was sent down the Nile River in. There's only two times in the Bible where this word ark or teva is used. And isn't it interesting that both times this word is used, God was providing safety upon the water. First, for the only family who would save mankind, and then for the man Moses who would save the Hebrews. I've often wondered, did Noah have any idea what a flood was 
or for that matter, what rain was? Could he even possibly envision the devastation that would come? Think of the depth of faith necessary to build something so massive. Think of the depth of faith necessary to trust God, that God was going to take care of Noah and his family. Think of the faith necessary to face what was most likely ridicule and shame from everyone he met for 120 years, all the while making that 510-foot-long boat in the middle of a desert. Think of the faith necessary to convince your wife and your sons and your sons' wives that, okay, guys, you're going to need to trust God. And when the time comes, get into this boat. And oh, by the way, we're going to be sharing this space with thousands of animals. Honestly, I can just imagine the dialogue with his wife. Wait, what did God say? Are you sure? How do you know it was God telling you to do this? Are you sure you weren't dreaming? I can never even get you to listen to me. You know, you are kind of old. Are you sure you heard him right? Maybe he said build a park and not an ark. <laughs> Would your faith be strong enough to withstand sneering and laughter and snide remarks for years and years and years? Well, how did Noah do this? You know how? He heard God. He walked with God. What that means is that he listened to God. God told him. And we have these words recorded in Genesis 6, 17 through 18. God said, I'm going to flood waters on the earth, and it will destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives will be with you. And then Genesis tells us in 6.22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Well, in world history timeline, when did this flood happen? We don't know. Exactly, because the Bible doesn't give us a date and it doesn't give us any other world events that were happening at this time. So we could trace back when this was. We do know that God gave these stories about creation and the flood and later the Tower of Babel and all of these stories in the book of Genesis. God gave them to Moses when Moses was on Mount Sinai. And we know that this happened in 1400 BC. That's when Moses started to collect all of this information that God gave him and started to write it down. So we know the flood was before this. And if you research this, you'll find creation scientists who say, you know, it could have been a thousand years earlier could have been thousands of years before that. We're not sure. During all that time that God gave man to repent, Noah and his family 
the Bible says, were the only ones who had faith in God. Now I wonder, did those 120 years seem like it was taking forever for Noah? Or did Noah perhaps want more time to try to change people's minds? The Bible doesn't say. The idea of time, it tends to push our faith to the limits, doesn't it? Can you just imagine Noah waiting 120 years for what was basically the end of the world? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. Jesus also talks about the unbelief of Noah's generation. And he then talks about how, you know, this is going to be a similar level of unbelief when I come again, when I return. And in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. That's what he's talking about when he comes back again. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus then goes on to say, it will be like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other will be left." End quote. When the time did come, the Bible says, it was just Noah and his family. Think about what that day must have been like. Genesis chapter seven, Verses 6 through 10. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all the creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Then we continue Genesis chapter 7. We're now going to look at verses 11 through 17. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. 
and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Seven days after Noah and his family entered the ark, the heavens opened up and it started to rain. What were those seven days like while they waited? Did you notice that I read, God closed the door of the ark? That's God's compassion. Noah didn't have to do it. Now think about it. It was God's judgment, not Noah's. Noah couldn't possibly close the door of the ark. Imagine days one through six when the townspeople walked by and saw Noah and his family and all those animals hanging out in an ark on dry land. Imagine the jokes. But day seven came, didn't it? On that day, it was probably a different story. Perhaps many at this point realized Noah's not so crazy after all. And now they want to hitch a ride, but God closed the ark. The Lord shut him in. Did Noah know what rain was? Well, that's kind of a good question. And if no, does that even make his faith even more extraordinary? And there are those that believe until this time, no rain fell on the earth, but was water from underground springs. This is actually how I was taught. But of course, not surprising, there's multiple opinions on this topic. Those who believe that no rain fell until this time look to a number of different Bible passages. The one we've been looking at in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, verse 7, remember it says that by faith Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark, etc. And some will then assert that these things not yet seen means rain, implying that no one has ever seen rain before this flood. Of course, there's others who say, well, the passage also could be referring to well, no one's seen an impending catastrophic global flood. Well, that is true too, isn't it? But then, the way that I was taught, we look at the earlier part of the book of Genesis, getting back to creation. And 
I'm going to look first at Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus, God made the expanse and divided the waters, which were under the expanse from the waters, which were above the expanse. And it was so. Do you have any idea what I just read? <laughs> okay, I remember studying this and going, what? So let me explain. This is talking about day two of creation. And what happened in day two is that God created a separation between the waters below, let's call them the seas, and the waters above, that's the mists of the sky, because there is no sun, moon, stars yet. That's actually day three. So scientists have actually said yes, that there was this sort of mist in the atmosphere. Okay, then I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and it says, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain. And there was no man to till the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then it'll talk about, of course, then the creation of Adam and his job was to take care of the garden. No mention is made of rain on the earth until the flood. That, that is a biblical truth. There, the word rain does not show up anywhere in the Bible until it talks about the flood. The original earth and the Garden of Eden, also we know to be true, were watered by streams and rivers, and there was this mist in the atmosphere instead of rain. And these sources could have re been replenished continually from groundwater. And the theory then is possible because Humidity and mist are effective in watering plants. That's actually how plant life could have thrived up until the flood. There's actually those that say that the earth was watered by mist and underground springs this entire time until the flood. And if you follow this theory, it's argued that the flood waters were then a breakdown of what actually had caused the mist in the first place. And they liken this to the rings around Saturn. And this is actually, this has a name, it's called the canopy theory. And the canopy theory suggests that up until the time of this great flood, our earth was covered by rings, maybe similar to what covers the planet of Saturn. And the flood may have represented sort of this collapse of the canopy of ice and vapor and water that had been stored up since creation. And God did not open these floodgates until he destroyed the world in the days of Noah. And until that time, then, people had never seen rain. And so these scientists say that this vapor canopy that existed prior to the flood would have affected the entire world climate. As you can imagine, it would have ruled out rain 
because there would be a uniform temperature over the entire Earth. And therefore, if there's a uniform temperature, then there's no highs and low pressure systems, which produce storms. So from the moment this canopy of vapor collapsed, then rain would be a thing. Of course, others believe, yes, it did rain before the flood. They agree, the Bible tells us no rain in the Garden of Eden, but they say, look, after sin entered the world, a lot of things changed and it seems reasonable that we would have had rain on the earth. Well, we're not sure. We don't know if Noah had seen rain before, but it's fair to say no one had seen rain of the magnitude that was about to come. Okay, so perhaps the next reasonable question is, this flood, was it really a biblical proportions or was it local or regional? You know, maybe just like in the known world at the time. That's a good question. So before we review what the Bible says and what theologians say, what do you believe? Well, if it was a local flood, let's ask ourselves a few questions. Why wouldn't Noah and his family just move to higher ground? If it was a local flood or a regional flood, just collect representatives of the animals maybe in, in your little region and then move to higher ground. Why would God give man 120 years to repent if it was a local or a regional flood? Why would God have Noah build an ark if it was a local or regional flood? And how about this? Why does almost every race of people and civilization have a flood story? If this was just a, a local or a regional flood, did you know that Native Americans, way before missionaries appeared, in their culture had a flood story? And ancient, remote Chinese civilizations have a flood story. There's almost 300 different flood stories floating around from thousands of years ago. In fact, the earliest one that we have in writing is the Epic of Gilgamesh, and that was written 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. And if it was a local or a regional flood, why does the Bible say the earth's very structure was altered? Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. God couldn't actually be more clear. This was a unique global catastrophic flood, an act of divine judgment against a sinful world. How do I know that? Let's take a look at what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 7, verses 19 through 20. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, 
and the mountains were covered. The Bible says the flood prevailed over the tops of the highest mountains to a depth of at least 15 cubits, which, depending on the size of your elbow to your middle finger, anywhere from 250 to 300 feet above the mountains. If the flood had not covered the mountains by such a great depth, then the ark could not have floated over them for five months in which the waters prevailed upon the earth. And then more evidence is the, the duration of the water on the earth because Noah actually had to be in the ark for 371 days. Because after the five months, that's just when he started to see the tops of the mountaintops. The fact that the flood continued, the floodwaters on the earth for more than a year, well, that seems to me to kind of indicate that this was more global in nature. My imagination staggers at the thought of a flood so gigantic as to overwhelm the highest mountains of the earth for a period of six weeks, so that's the 40 days, and then to continue, as the Bible says, prevailing over those mountains for an additional 16 weeks before Noah can even begin to see the tops of the mountains. And then the only survivors floating around in the ark are Noah and his family. But quite honestly, if the biblical concept of a deluge covering the tops of the mountains for 16 consecutive weeks is hard to reconcile with a local flood theory, then what about the fact that scripture says there was an additional 31 weeks that were required for the waters to subside enough for the ark to rest somewhere in the mountains of Ararat, which is modern-day Turkey. And the ark. God told Noah to build an ark to keep the seed alive upon the face of the earth. You know, this whole process of constructing this enormous ark that would have just been a cruel joke if there really wasn't a need for an ark and God could have sent Noah on a European vacation. No, I think this was a global event. No survivors, land animals, birds. The Bible tells us the ark was essential. In fact, 60 times we find in the flood account the use of universal words like all, every living thing, in whose nostrils is the breath of life, everywhere under the heaven, all mankind, all high mountains, under the entire heavens. Okay, now some of these terms, I'll admit, are used periodically in the Old Testament in a limited way, in a less than global universal sense, and you always have to look at the context. Well, the context here indicates this was global. God hasn't revealed to us in the Bible the means to which this global event came about. We honestly don't know how the earth was flooded, but God has explained the moral reason why he brought about this global event. Next week, we're going to take a look at what 
life may have been like those 371 days on the ark and what extraordinary faith it took to step foot off that ark. Can you imagine? Stay tuned to hear the rest of the story. Let's end with the Bible verse from Matthew chapter 24 verses 37 through 39. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We have an opportunity to make this Old Testament story our story. The ark, our refuge in the storm, that's Christ. What are you doing like Noah to tell others about Christ's safe refuge? Have you built the ark? Are you already inside? Have you invited others to come along with you? Have a blessed day, and I look forward to you joining next week for Noah Part 3. Thank you for listening to studentofthebible.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Buck and Bear Productions. Now, they're both rescue dogs, but they actually, I don't think, know that they're dogs, so maybe you shouldn't tell them. They have been my loyal companions over the course of these productions, although they tend to sleep during my podcasts. At some point, I'm going to get them more involved since I'm giving them credit. Right now, look for their candid shots on my website and have a great day.